Man, Jeremy, problem with that is somebody's got to follow it. <laughs> Thank you, choir. That was awesome. Friends, my name's Mitch. I'm a lay pastor here in this, this church, and it's my opportunity to bring uh, the message to you this morning. So I'm so grateful to have the honor of being up here uh, with you this morning. And I want to talk about uh, rocks, my love of rocks. When I was a kid, I loved rocks, loved picking up rocks. I think I love pockets because I first loved rocks. <laughs> I had rocks and I had to put them somewhere, so I put them in my pocket. Um, my mom washed my rocks. I think my dad blames me for like broken washing machines because of washing rocks. I uh, put rocks in my pockets, and I still love rocks. I still like to pick up rocks. Anybody else like picking up rocks? Yeah, pick, my buddy Bill likes picking up. He likes looking for arrowheads, very specific rocks. I pick up a lot of just Regular rocks, good-looking rocks, interesting rocks, rocks from interesting places. Uh, we're on this family vacation, and we're at a beach, and this beach was it, was, it was recommended to us, and we get there, and we check this thing out, and we're the only ones there. There is no one at this beach. You can see up and down the beach, a mile in both directions, desolate, and the sand was black. It was dark, like dark charcoal-looking sand. And the beach was deep, and it was violent. And the waves were like seven foot tall, and they'd come smashing and crashing in, and they'd roll up the beach the length of this room. And there was nothing on the beach. It was just this charcoal sand forever, and not, not a shell, not nothing. And it would just smash in, and it would come up, and then it would go sucking way back out. I mean, the depth of the room would go way back out there. And we were intimidated, because if you're not scared of the ocean, you should be. <laughs> and But way out there, there were these green things. And they were beautiful. And the boys and I, we'd muster up our courage, and the ocean come crashing in, and then it'd go out, and we'd chase it like it was running scared from us. <laughs> and then, you know, and it's getting squishier and squishier, and you grab a fistful of green things, and you turn around, and you hightail it back towards your mother. And... Because it was coming after you violently. We didn't know if it would suck us in or what. But we ran and we, those little green rocks, I have some of them. I have some of them at home and they remind me of uh, just, just the, the, the preciousness of that moment. But also just the uniqueness of rocks and our draw towards those unique rocks. They're timeless, yet they're changed by time. They're often small pieces of something much bigger products of intense transformations, sometimes violent acts of heat and pressure, sometimes small erosions of drip, drop, drips of water over millennia. For a birthday one year as a child, I received a rock tumbler. Anybody heard of a rock tumbler? A rock tumbler, it is a small cement truck. <laughs> Just a wee little cement truck that tumbles together aggregate, and then these, these unpolished, unrefined gemstones, you add the gemstones, they're rough, they just look like gravel, and you throw them in there, and you throw in this extra aggregate and a little bit of water, and you set this thing in motion, cranking out in the garage, going on and on. It's really cool, it, it speeds up the process of hundreds of years of erosion and it's really cool my dad would have you know though that hundreds of years of a babbling brook make a much better sound than a rock tumbler 
But nonetheless, those, those results are pretty breathtaking, those transformations that take place inside that environment. I tell you all this to make a mental connection between our lifelong journey of transformation and the creation and the polishing of these stones. We're all rocks. We're all uniquely made, shaped and formed through massive changes and small, persistent forces. Picking up rocks is not only human nature, but part of our heritage and traditions. Rocks, through their timelessness and transformations, they remind us of God's power, his mercy, deliverance, justice, and salvation. Rocks appear scattered, as it were, throughout the scriptures. When wandering through the desert, Moses used, God used Moses to draw water out of a rock to quench his people's thirst. God used stone tablets as a way for Moses to bring the law, those commandments, to the chosen nation. The Israelites pulled stones out of the Jordan River and stacked them up as a monument to remember God's faithfulness. As a boy, David gathered small stones from a stream, one of which would strike down the mighty Goliath. Same David would later pen a psalm proclaiming God as his rock and salvation. I think this irresistible urge of picking up interesting stones is deep-rooted in our souls. I think it's a fingerprint left behind by our creator. Because I think Jesus was a bit of a rock collector as he walked along teaching and preaching. And we're going to read this in first or in John 1, 41 and 42. But this is a story. This is brothers Andrew and Simon. They were they were followers of John the Baptist and Andrew witnessed John the Baptist pointing out that Jesus is the lamb of God and Andrew runs off to study under Jesus for the afternoon to just follow him and just learn, um, see, and hear what he has to say. And afterwards, we pick up verse 41. The first thing he did, this is Andrew, the first thing he did, he went to find his brother Simon. He said to him, we have found the Christ. Andrew took Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw Simon, he said, you are Simon, the son of John. Your name will be Cephas. The name Cephas means Peter or a rock. John records Jesus' first interaction with Simon when Jesus assigns him this nickname, Cephas. This word is rooted in ancient Greek and Aramaic, meaning rock, which later became trans, uh, uh, evolved into a more modern Greek where we got Petros and then we Englishified that into Peter. So that's where we get Peter. So Simon Peter is Simon Rock, Simon Cephas, Cephas. So today I want to look at this transformation of this rock, Cephas, Peter, through his conversations with Jesus. Because I think we can all identify as part of Peter's story at one place or another, at least I do. So as we hit some highlights and ups and downs along the timeline of their relationship, I want you to notice how even Peter, a close, personal friend of Jesus, 
waffles in his faithfulness, but is continually being transformed into the person and leader God has called him to be. Jesus helps Peter know God. He helps him grow together with his disciples, and then he sends him out to go and transform the world. After Jesus has given him this name, he calls this fisherman, Peter, this Simon Peter, who's a fisherman, and his fisherman brother, Andrew, to become his disciples, where he will make them fishers of men. So Peter, now that he's entered this story, begins to experience these many miracles of Jesus firsthand. One of those first miracles is a fishing story. We find it in Luke 5, 4 through 7. Peter had just had a bad night fishing. Has anybody had a bad night fishing? Hasn't caught anything. Has anybody had a bad night fishing? Anybody fished at night? Hey, we got some of those? We, got some, we have some, uh, some uh, spoon billers? Some snaggers? Anybody? That happens at night. Has anybody heard of this? I did this once. It's miserable. I mean, if you're an advocate for it, next time you have the microphone, you talk about the... The glories of spoon billing. But you have this giant pull and you throw out this giant weight that weighs more than any fish I've ever pulled in. I'm throwing it out. And on the bottom is this big gnarly hook. And all you do is you just all night long you just pull it. You just drag it through the water. And you're supposed to just haphazardly snag a fish. That's the word snag. There's no science to it. It's just snag a fish. I caught a lawn chair. True story. Reeled her in and everything. About 3 o'clock in the morning, thought I finally hooked the big one. It was a lawn chair. So that's a bad night of fishing. This is a long, bad night of fishing. A bad night of fishing is so much worse than a bad day of fishing. And Jesus is with them, and they've had this bad night of fishing. So they'd had a bad night of fishing. He hops in the boat, does some preaching, and they're out there, and he says, Hey, guys. Why don't you cast down your nets? And Peter is the fisherman, and he knows he's had a bad night of fishing, and there's no fish to be caught. But he has this faith in Jesus, and he obeys because the Lord told him to. And he caught enough fish that they feared sinking the boat. This is great faith. He knew what he was doing. He was the fisherman. He knew, but... He also obeyed anyway. Boom, we got a point for Peter. Peter's faithfulness and obedience scores him a point. So now Jesus, or Peter's on board with Jesus and he's, he's learning from these miracles and seeing this overwhelming power of God. Peter was a witness to, uh, to Jesus healing health problems that his mother-in-law had, a miraculous healing. Peter saw this power lived out through various other miracles of Jesus. And this moves us on to our next conversation they had together once again on a boat, but just the disciples were on the boat because Jesus had sent them out ahead of him via said boat to cross the lake, and he was going to stay behind for prayer and solitude. We pick this up in Matthew 14, 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. Take courage. Immediately, Jesus said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. 
Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come on, said Jesus. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, coming towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat and the wind died down. And those who were on the boat with them worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Ah, Peter, as faithful as he can be, he gets out of the boat. I want you to notice, nobody else even bothered to ask if they can try this. It was Peter. Peter's like, that is amazing power of God on display there. I want to be part of that. This is huge faith. This is big time for Peter. But he had trouble struggling with the reality of the frightening situation God called him out into. And Peter did what rocks do in water. He was up because he had the faith and the Lord invited him out. He was down because he faltered. But he immediately cried out to the Lord and immediately the Lord saved him and brought him back up. So he was up again. He had a high and then a low. Now he's back on a high because Jesus rescued him. And then he got brought low again with these abrasive, transformative words of Jesus. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Can't you just see the patience of Jesus churning away and tumbling around with Peter, the persistence of Jesus honing and polishing Peter's faith. So our next conversation, we're sticking in Matthew here. Jesus asks the disciples who they say he is. So he just got finished asking them who other people thought he was. Now he wanted to know who the disciples his closest followers, who do they think he is? And this is a big moment for Peter, and Peter's pretty glad somebody wrote this down, because I'd have been like, write that down. And they did, and here it is in Matthew. Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? Simon Peter, our guy, answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Thousand points for Peter. Nailed it. Got it right, man. He did it. Did it. This is big. Peter's puffed up right now, right? Like Peter is feeling good. Jesus just said, blessed are you, Peter. You are the rock. Yeah, right? Yeah. Three lines later, here we go. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, and at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed, and on the third day, raised to life. So Peter just says, 
Jesus, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, right, now that you've called that out, I'm going to explain to you what happens. And then Peter says, Jesus, come here. Took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Whoops. Whoopsie, Peter. Whoops. We have in our biblical Hebrew here, uh, Satan is adversary. He's calling Peter an adversary. Peter went from answering the pop quiz 100%, got the attaboys, to inadvertently positioning himself as an adversary to the will of God. Peter was up, and then Peter was way down. And these are like right there. Flip open your Bible to Matthew. It's like up, down, up, and down. Now let's move on to our next conversation. Because Jesus is with his disciples, and they're having this last supper, and uh, he's explaining to them why it's the last. And he tells them, Matthew 26, 31, this very night I will, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter, on hearing this, replies, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. But we're only talking about Peter here. So spoiler alert. Jesus' prediction was right. Peter did, in fact, deny even knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. Peter's feeling real low. Our last conversation between the two that I want to cover here, it happens after Jesus' crucifixion, after Jesus' resurrection. All these things Peter's struggling with in his denial... And they go back out doing the thing they know how to do. They were fishing. Once again, back in a boat. Once again, not having any luck. It's another thing. I think I was, I'm a fisherman like them. Not very good. And Jesus showed up and instructed them to try something new. Something different. Other side of the boat, Jesus says. And immediately, they have a massive catch. They fear swamping the boat. They recognize Jesus as the Lord, and Peter leaps out of the boat to swim to him. Jesus is on shore. He's cooking a meal. They dine together. And we pick up the words recorded by John here. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus has asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus' transformation of Peter was, a, was as aggressive as you of little faith or why do you doubt? And even get behind me, Satan. But his transformation was also as gentle as, Simon, do you love me? Peter was a rock in the tumbling world, and Jesus was in there with him. Purposefully and continually polishing Peter into one of his most faithful, transformative followers. Peter went from humble fisherman on the Sea of Galilee to leading the apostles into teaching and preaching the redemptive healing power and love of God who pursues you and works through you and works with you for a bigger purpose. We read these words of Peter recorded in Acts. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all, for all who are far off, for all of whom the Lord God will call. Peter knows this because he lived it. Peter has put himself far off from God. He was God's adversary. He stepped in front of Jesus. If you think you can't get any farther, Peter was directly opposed. He put himself in the way and then he became close. He went up and then he became down. He denied the Lord, then he got called into leadership in the church to start it, to lead the apostles. Peter understands firsthand the transformative power of Jesus' forgiveness and he wants us to know that we can too. Peter wants us to know that through his life and interactions, we can see the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and we can be assured that it is offered and extended to all of us for all whom the Lord God will call. See, friends, in every relationship we are in, we have the opportunity to experience the transformative love of Jesus, either by Christ working through the other person to teach us something about him or by working through us to represent his grace and mercy and forgiveness. So I'm not saying that God causes the tumbling of this world, the ups and the downs and the turmoil. But I am saying he's the God who knocks off the rough edges and polishes and smooths over and draws out what was always on the inside. Through tumbling around in these relationships of this world and in relationship with Jesus, we can find our purpose, our calling, and live into 
that potential on the inside. And through doing that, we participate in that polishing of others as well. Amen? Lord, thank you for Peter as an example. Thank you for his faithfulness, his leadership, his transformation, his, his honesty, his humanness. Those attributes that we can relate to, that we can see ourselves in his story. We can see ourselves in the highs and the lows of this story and this life of Peter. Thank you for those conversations you had with Peter so we can recognize when you were having conversations with us through your faithful followers. When others are leading us into our potential, building out of us, drawing out of us what you have placed inside to be discovered through the journey of transformation, through tumbling around through, through this process of, of being made into who you've created us to be. Lord, we thank you for these scriptures this morning and all that we can learn from it. May we write it on our hearts and carry it with us out into the world.